0: Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Donnie Tapey. Uh, As has already been said, hello, Zach. Uh, It's good to see you guys this morning. So excited to be here. So excited to share with you. Uh, Joe kind of opened us up this morning already with our vision for this year that we are encountering Jesus. And I love that image that he used of the sunrise coming up. And the sunrise is coming no matter what we do, but we can posture ourselves in a way to receive. And one of the ways that we've done that this year is through leaning into Scripture, that we want to encounter Jesus in the church by leaning into Scripture. We've done that by pressing into this series on, uh, in the Gospel of John. And so we're continuing that series this morning. And this morning, we're going to be in uh, in John 15, uh, verses 1 through 17. So I think we've got time for this. What I want to do this morning, just a little bit different as far as how we begin. So if I could... Uh, have everyone stand. Well, it's nothing too crazy. We're gonna read. We're about to read the Word of God. Well, I just want that to hit you for a moment. We're about to read the Word of God, God's revealed Word for you. So, just if you're able, I want you to stand just so that we can give it proper respect and 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 uh, it's due in a sense. Just to say, all right, I'm listening. I'm attentive. I'm here. Does that make sense? All right, what we're also gonna do is as soon as I read it, when I, as, as soon as I'm done reading it, I'm gonna say, this is the word of the Lord. And I want you all go, uh, to respond and say, thanks be to God. Got it? Okay. John chapter 15, one through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I love this passage, y'all. It's a long one, but there's so much gold here, we could spend an entire series on this passage. But I want to just open us up by just sharing a story with you guys. This past Friday, actually, uh, my daughter Adelaide came home from school, and Fridays are my day off, and so I was there with her, uh, and she asked me if she could watch a show. How many parents are familiar with this question? Yes, and how many parents kind of have a love-hate relationship with that question? Sometimes you're like, the TV will watch my children for 30 minutes. It's great. And then other times you're like, if you ask again, I will burn the TV in the backyard. You know, there's like this love-hate relationship. But she asked me if she could watch a show. And I said, well, have you cleaned your room and done your 20 minutes of reading? She does that every day. And her face became a bit downcast. And I told her, you need to first clean your room and do your reading, and then you can practice piano or you can watch a show, because those are the two things she really wanted to do. I said, but you can't do both because we won't have time for both before bedtime. And she protested respectfully, but I held firm on her responsibilities and said, after you've cleaned your room and done your reading, the choice is yours as to which one you'll do. I said, but which would, would provide you with more joy that would last longer? and she thought for a moment and she answered playing piano. And I said, you can do either, but I trust that you'll make a wise decision. Classic dad line, you know? And I felt like Solomon in that moment. I was like, the choice is yours, daughter. Which shall you choose, wisdom or folly? You know, so it's was like, <laughs> what do you wanna do? And a few moments later, with joy on her face and a peaceful heart, she came back and she said, you know, I'm gonna practice piano because watching a show, it just, it's over and that's it. Like piano is gonna give me more joy later on. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna practice piano. And I was like, yes, <laughs> dad win. You know, it's like those, those small victories. But why do I tell you that story? As a father, my job is to tend to Addie and to do so in such a way that she thrives and that her life would bear good fruit. And I do that by knowing her by building a relationship with her as I care for her and considering where she's at, what she can handle in her life. I also hold firm boundaries with her so that she learns how to make God-honoring choices and so that she understands reality well and so that when she's an adult and my boundaries are removed, she doesn't destroy herself by her choices, right? And through all of that, I'm constantly reminding her that I love her and I'm constantly uh, helping her to understand that, she, that my love for her is greater than she will ever be able to wrap her mind around. And I'm always helping her to her life to bear fruit. Man, I have so much desire for my daughter, Addie, that her life would bear incredible fruit, fruit that would last. You know, and as I think about that, I can't help, I can't help but think that if I feel that and I'm in an Earthly father, broken and with sins and things that I deal with, how much more does God feel that for you, for each and every one of you? Our scripture today, as we've read, is John 15, 1 through 17. And I believe God wants to father us well today through this scripture. And he's going to do it through the imagery of Jesus as the vine and God as the gardener. Jesus as the vine, the source of life, the one to, the one to whom we must stay connected. And God as the good gardener, tending to us and caring for us, ensuring that we are healthy, growing, and producing fruit. I have good news for you today. What we'll see in this passage is that incredible God that is a good and kind gardener. And that in order to receive his help now and in the future, we must abide We must remain in Jesus. God wants to bring good fruit from your life. Did you know that? And that's what I want us to see this morning. I want to stir you up to that. So I see three ways in this passage that God the gardener tends to us in order that our lives would bear good fruit. So those of you taking sermons, you love your three sermon points, here you go. So God the gardener knows us and cares for us. God the gardener teaches us about reality, and God the gardener loves us beyond our wildest dreams, that we might trust him to bring forth uh, that good fruit from our lives. So again, my hope today is that you'd be stirred up. You'd be stirred up maybe in a fresh way, maybe even for the first time to abide in the vine, to remain in Jesus. So we're going to break, this is a large passage, so we're going to break it up into three sections, and each section corresponds to those three points. But first, before we dive into that first section, I want to give you some context on this passage that we're in. So where are we in the Gospel of John? Why is Jesus saying these things that he's saying now? So Jesus is with his 11 remaining disciples, and he's sharing the Passover meal. If you don't know, the Passover meal was the meal that celebrated the people of Israel's uh, liberation from slavery in Egypt. And so 11, I thought there were 12 disciples, right? Well, Judas, that 12th disciple, had already left at this point, and he had gone out to betray Jesus. It was actually in chapter, I think, 13, where Jesus uh, says to them, he's washing their feet. If you remember that sermon from a number of weeks ago, Jesus is washing their feet, and he comes uh, at, at the very end, and he says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. He's speaking to his disciples, remember. You are clean, but not every one of you. And that's when, right after that, Judas gets up. Jesus says, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. And Judas goes out, and he, and he leaves. And so for most of the disciples up until this point, they still didn't completely even understand what Jesus was about, some of them still have hopes that Jesus is this political king, this Messiah that's going to come and, and, and free them from Roman occupation and be the new king of the Jews. And that he's going to usher in this new kingdom on earth of, 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 uh, of, of, the, of the Jews being free from all these occupiers but they don't really get what he's saying. And in chapters 13 and 14, he spends those chapters disabusing them of those notions, saying all kinds of things like, I'm going away and you can't come with me and I'm gonna be gone for a while and you won't see me. And they're like, what is he talking about? Like, this isn't the plan that we thought we had in mind. He's saying all these things that are really scaring them, including even to Peter. He tells Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the sun rises or, or, uh, or before the rooster crows. And it's like, the disciples are getting worried and troubled. They're fearful. Like, what is he saying? This isn't, this isn't the plan, Jesus. What are you doing? And it's at this moment, in this, in this chapter, uh, at the very end of it, he says all these things. And Jesus, you know, he knows what's about to happen. He understands that he's about to go to the cross. And he understands and knows that each of the disciples is going to scatter, Not just Judas betraying him, but each of them are going to scatter and go their own way and leave him. And then Jesus abruptly says at the end of chapter 14, rise, let us go from here. I'm going to start using that from now on when I want to go somewhere. Rise, let us go. So they left the upper room. But where did they go? No one really knows. I believe, based on all the vine talk that we're getting into, that they're walking through a nearby vineyard. And how much more epic does it make this passage? that Jesus is talking about the vines that they're walking through right now. So back to our passage, 15, one through four. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remember what he said to Judas and to, the, uh, and to the other disciples, you are clean, but not every one of you. And now he's speaking to the remaining 11. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus is talking, uh, there's a whole lot of fruit talk in this passage. Like, is fruit everywhere? What is fruit? What is it talking about? Well, in Galatians, 522 through 23, it says this the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. Those are the fruit, that's the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. And so that's one way, that's, that's the, the character of God coming out of, coming out of us. And that's one, one uh, part, aspect of this fruit in, that he's talking about, that he wants them to bear. My good friend Jeremy West, pastor of Antioch Lake Cities, has a great summary definition for fruit that he recently used in a series on this passage. And he says this, "'When the Bible speaks of bearing good fruit or being fruitful, it is talking about our lives producing the righteous character of God, manifested through our words, actions, and attitudes. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus being produced in our lives.'" It is God's desire that you bear fruit, because when you bear fruit, he is glorified. And that means that other people see his awesome character on display in your life. Not only is God glorified when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, but we are deeply satisfied and fulfilled when we live a fruitful life. Amen. Right? Isn't that a great definition? Thank you, Jeremy. And so back to verse 1. What I'm going to do here in the next few moments is I want you to follow and track with me as close as you can, because this is pivotal to understand and to see. Verse one, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So we've already talked about this. Jesus is the source of life. We have to be in him to bear fruit. We've all trimmed a tree or cut off a branch and it usually doesn't keep growing and sprouting leaves. You know, the leaves wither, it dries up, it gets, gets real crispy. Father, was that funny, Crispy? I guess so. Uh, Father God is the one caring for the whole plant. He's the good gardener. He's pruning it, watering it, ensuring that it produces fruit. Okay, so we got it. Verse one, Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener. Verse two, every branch in me, pay attention to that phrase, in me that does not not bear fruit, he cuts off or takes away. Some Some of your Bibles might read. But what's curious to me is that Jesus says in this passage, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must remain in me. And Jesus says that these branches that he's talking about are in him. He even uses the same language that he says, remember, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's talking about branches that are in him, yet he's talking about them being cut off. He's talking to the 11 disciples that have not left him, that have remained And it seems almost like he's encouraging them, even though he knows Peter's about to deny him and the disciples are about to scatter, which seems to me like lacking fruit, right? Like bearing no fruit. So does God really cut off branches because you're not bearing fruit in a season of your life? Are you bearing fruit in your life right now? Has there ever been a season in your life where you weren't bearing fruit? I'm not alone in this view, and you can fact check me on it, but I believe the word for cut off or takes away is translated poorly here, as it doesn't seem to consider the context. The Greek word iro is the Greek word translated takes away, which is one of its meanings, but one of its primary and most often used meanings is to lift up or to elevate or to raise up. So I believe verse two should be rendered, he lifts up and raises up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Isn't that amazing? It quite changes what it means right here. And, it's, and this fits with the context. So in Bruce Wilkinson's book, Secrets of the Vine, I'm not just making stuff up about vines here. I'm not a vine, I'm not a vineyard owner, I don't know anything about this. So I've done my research in this book, Secrets of the Vine, he tells a story about having coffee with the owner of a large vineyard. And these are the words of that vineyard owner as he talks with, uh, with Bruce over coffee. He says this, new branches have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground, he explained, but they don't bear fruit down there. When branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dust. When it rains, uh, they get muddy and mildewed. The branch becomes sick and useless. What do you do? I asked. Cut it off and throw it away? Oh no, he exclaimed. The branch is much too valuable for that. We go through the vineyard with a bucket of water, looking for those branches to clean them off. We lift them up and wash them off, he demonstrated for me with his dark, calloused hands. Then we wrap them around the trellis or tie them up, and pretty soon they're thriving. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's huge. What is is Jesus asking us to do in this passage? To abide in him, to remain in him. Now think back to that context, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's reassuring the 11 and Peter, I mean, was was Peter's life denying Jesus three times a model of fruitful behavior? I mean, no, like imagine you having gone through that. Imagine denying Jesus in his hour of need. Where would you be at emotionally? I mean, you would be like, I failed. Like in the moment of testing, I didn't have the courage or faithfulness to say that I knew him. And yet, what do we see Jesus do? Just a few chapters later, he appears to his disciples after he's been raised, and he goes to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my, feed my lambs. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep or tend to my sheep. And then right after that, he says, follow me. Peter's been following Jesus, right? I mean, he's one of the disciples. But Jesus is approaching him again at this moment in time when he needs it most to care for him, to lift him up to encourage him so that he will bear fruit. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Gosh, y'all, this is huge. It's so good to know we have a father who cares for us like this, a vine dresser that cares for us and loves us like this. Jesus was and is a compassionate high priest and savior. Jesus lifted him up, raised him up so that he might be fruitful like the rest of the disciples. You know, and is this not our experience with the Lord, his tender compassion and mercy? I got, I got saved, gave my life to the Lord when I was 10 years old. And in middle school, I can tell you, I was not bearing fruit at all. In fact, I was eating all the fruit. I was like trying to destroy myself in so many ways. Did God cut me off? Did he abandon me? No through years and time and patience. I mean, it takes some grapevines to, to produce fruit. It takes them up to three years sometimes to produce their first fruit. Like, God knows that it takes time. Do you know that he's patient with you, church? He's so good. Like, where are you at in your life? Do you feel that? Do you feel a burden or a heaviness because you're so frustrated with yourself? But guess what? If you're in Jesus, you're in the vine. Like, that's why he went to the cross, was to place you in the vine. And, the, and, and what's the criteria to be in the vine? It's to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, to receive his grace and mercy for your life. Like, what a gift, To remain in the vine, there's things we can do to help us remain in the vine, to stay there, and we're going to talk about some of that, but I want you to see how simple this is and how good God is as a gardener. Amen? Okay. But What I love about Jesus, so on to our next point, the gardener teaches us about reality. So that was the gardener knows us and cares for us. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through, and now the gardener teaches us about reality. Um. Verse five, John 15, five, continuing in our passage. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not something, not a few things, nothing. If you, don't, if you do not remain in me, so here's the, here's the transition. He's talking about branches that are remaining in him. And now he says, if you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What I love about this section and one of the aspects of Jesus is that he's a great teacher of reality, right? Jesus all the time uses parables and things that are that are related to the natural world are just simple to understand, easily understood and perceived on their own. But reality, I don't know about you guys, but reality can sometimes feel harsh, right? It can feel like there's no mercy with reality. Like if you do this, A, like if you do A, B's gonna happen. Like it could feel like a harsh master. And at one time I had great confusion over this verse because I felt so conflicted about the boundary line Jesus draws here. Our relationship with him—it seemed harsh and very conditional to me, based on this verse. And then I had children, and I understand that boundary lines are firm for a reason. My son Alder is two years old, and we've been practicing with him how to cross the street uh, properly, which means hand, which means holding his hand, and he has to do this no matter what. And I can't tell you umpteen times. I have gotten down on my knees and gone, Alder. All right, buddy. If you go out in the street without holding Daddy's hand, you could get hit by a car, and that could kill you. And he's like, Squirrel. You know, I'm like, you know, he's just totally, just like not getting it. And he's two, and I understand that. And so we'll start crossing the street. And I've told him this. You know This fact so many times, and and as, as I'm crossing the street, he's holding my hand, and he just starts going, ah, want to walk, want to walk, want to walk. And I just say, I'm sorry, buddy. You don't have an option. I'm holding your hand while we cross the street. And we cross the street, and then that's it. And <laughs> we do that over and over and over again until he learns to trust me that this is what's best, even though he doesn't understand it. I mean, for Alder, if I sat him down and said, Alder, do you know that a vehicle traveling, traveling it, uh, a vehicle weighing 2,000 pounds, traveling at 40 miles per hour has 13,000 pounds of force behind it? I mean, most of us don't even understand, how does that work? It's like, it's just beyond his level of comprehension. But it, it's still true. Like it doesn't matter what Alder thinks about the car, It's dangerous, whether he knows it or not. You know, for Jesus here, is it cruel for him to say, if you're separated from the vine, you will wither? I mean, it's just a statement about reality, right? I mean, if anything, the withering is the cruelty. And And it's the faithfulness and honesty of God to say it, to tell us. To say, don't, you've got to remain in me. Don't leave. If you leave, you're going to wither. I don't want that for you. I'm the vine. I'm here for you. You can be in the vine. It's a free gift. But don't leave that vine. Are you tracking with me? Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? He's fathering us in this moment that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, and then he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for those earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Amen? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. From our perspective, it is easy to look at Alder in this situation and go, yeah, of course, developmentally, he can't understand the dangers of a vehicle. But from our perspective, it's much harder sometimes. As an adult human, why is that? Because we think we know some stuff right? I mean, we're like, we've lived some life. We understand a little bit. We start to think, maybe we know better. Maybe this course I've chosen is better than what God has for you. Me. I mean, it's going to provide me maybe more money or it's going to provide me more happiness or more sex or whatever it might be. And we, it's hard for us to sometimes see God's perspective, but he, our position in our relationship with God is the same as my position with Alder. You understand that? How much wiser is God than us? How much more intelligent is he? How much more foresight does he have? How much more wisdom does he have? How much more goodness does he have? I mean, I'd be on my knees just like, God, I trust you because you know everything and you love me and you're good. God's guardrails, God's boundaries or commands help us to put everything in our lives into submission to Jesus so that those very things in our lives don't destroy us and don't take control of our lives. But what makes guardrails and boundaries palatable in both relationships, in my relationship with my son and with our relationship, God, what, what, what makes them palatable? It's trust and discipline coming from the one you know loves you without a doubt. It's when there's love present there in that relationship that trust can be given. Does that make sense? Boundaries without love and relationship feel like arbitrary rules. But God says, no, remain in me. Remain in my what? Love. You, me, we, everyone you know has been made for a relationship with Jesus. Jesus for relationship with God. Do you know that this morning? You were created to be in him, nowhere else. You were not created to be in any other vine, but in Jesus. And that's good news this morning, church. It's good news because God knows it and he's helping you, tend to you to get there. And he's given you access to what you need to get there. You don't, have, you don't have to work your way to salvation. He's given it to you, Church. This is strong encouragement this morning. I feel encouraged as I preach it. I feel edified because it just reminds me all over again who God is and how good He is. Mm. All right, we're going on to the next part. The gardener loves us beyond our wildest dreams. And this is what I want you to experience now is this last piece of, of, our, of our passage. It says this. As the fi- I'm gonna, and so what I want to do here is I just want to talk through this verse a little bit and give a little give a little commentary and thought on each verse as I go through. It says this, and I want every verse as you hear it, just try to open yourself and let it land on you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That statement should make everyone's heads explode. Like, as God has loved his Son, who came to the earth, lived a perfect life, was obedient in everything, and went to the cross in obedience for, for, for you and I, and then was raised like God loves him, like that. And then Jesus loves you the same. This is incredible, church. The love of God is tremendous. You will never wrap your mind around it. You will never be able to understand it, and you will spend the rest of your days searching it and mining it for gold. And I wish you that joy. That's my heart for you today. And he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, again, is this this a harsh thing? If you don't keep my commands, I don't love you anymore. No, he's saying, if you keep my commands, you will what? Remain in my love. If you don't keep my commands, you, you won't remain. His love hasn't gone anywhere. His love is remaining. Does that make sense? It's a statement about reality. And he says this, I have told you this. Why has he told us this? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How incredible is that? The most joyful person who's ever lived wants to place his joy in us. It's incredible. We go, we go on, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. What a simple command. But do you see how he's going down the rungs of the ladder? He says, I have loved you like God has loved me. Now I want you to go and love others like I have loved you. What a simple and beautiful command that he wants us to be surrounded in communities of love. Encounter Jesus, life groups. He says, greater, and then he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Period, next sentence, you are my friends. You're Jesus' friend, Did you know that today? I mean, how much love can be expressed in a passage? Like that he loves us, that you're his friends, you're on a different playing field with him. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything that God has given to Jesus, he's given to us. And then he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You think this is because you're awesome or because you found Jesus on your own? Like, no, Jesus has chosen you for this work and he's appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What a promise. That whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then he finishes it up and he says, this is my command, love each other. Twice in that section, does he commend us to love each other? If we simply remain in him, church, if we abide in his love, the commands of God, you know, they're, they're, they're not arbitrary commands. They are the boundaries of a relationship. And when we remain in his love, remain in this relationship, we, he will bring good fruit out of our lives. And even if you're in a season of feeling fruit, fruitless, God wants to encourage you and he wants to lift you up, amen? Amen. God's vision for your life is increase and abundance of good fruit. Increase and abundance is his vision for you. It's abundance of godly character, abundance of godly joy, abundance of all sorts of things, faithfulness, abundance of uh, abundant life in your family, abundant life in your neighborhood, in your city. God desires for your life to produce abundantly. And the beautiful thing about this is that when you're in the vine, who's producing the fruit in you? Jesus, you're connected to the vine. Jesus is, you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you and he's producing the fruit of your life. This is not a heavy yoke. This is not a go out and start producing fruit or else. Jesus is gonna lift you up. Does that make sense? Okay. Everyone's looking a little sleepy. I want you to see what I see here. It's so beautiful and so good. It's such a light and easy yoke. If I could have the band come up as we close. How do we remain in Jesus? How do we abide in him? And I would ask rhetorically, why all this encounter Jesus stuff? You know, I mean, we've been talking about it over and over again on Sundays. It's not because we're bored that we're coming up with stuff for you to do. (laughs) You know, it's not because of that. Our, Our heart is that when we practice all of these things, when we practice the way of Jesus together as a community, that's how we remain in Jesus. Like Just like Joe shared, the rising of the sun, the sun's coming up either way, and we can posture ourselves with practices in our life in order to position ourselves to experience the warmth of the sun and the beauty of the sun. And this is what we're doing. That's why we've been doing daily quiet times, and that's why we've been doing Sabbath day. We're not just like, I wonder if they would give up an entire day of no work, and maybe then we'll know we have control over them. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not our heart for you. It's like, when we practice these things, it gives us space and margin to experience the love of God in our life, and not to be so hurried on from one thing to the next. And as a church, we're leaning into Scripture doing this study in John and we're leaning into community and life groups and serving. And soon here in a, in a, in a few weeks, we're gonna be talking about what it means to, to encounter Jesus in the city and what we'll be doing there. Like these things that we're doing are, are some of the ways that we remain in Jesus. You know, we want this for you so bad. We want this, to, this remaining, this confidence that for the rest of my life, I am in Jesus and I'm not going anywhere. This confidence to remain in Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is, like we've said, it's a gift. And this is what Jesus wants for you as well. I mean, I was so focused on the, on the, on the, um, on the context before this passage. I turned to the next, the next chapter, chapter 16, and the first verse of it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And he says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Like Jesus knows that the pressures of life are there. He has the same compassion for you and he doesn't expect you to just tough it out. He doesn't expect you just to grind at life and to make it. He wants to lift you up and to help you. So if I, we could have our staff and overseers come up uh, to pray with people. So my heart, my heart, is, my heart for you is in this. Uh, abiding in the true vine is just that it's abiding it's remaining it's not a huge work effort it's an easy yoke and it's not really working hard so that you remain in jesus remaining in jesus is simply acknowledging him as the son of god and receiving his grace and mercy as a gift so i just want to encourage you with that today and wherever you find yourself if you feel a heavy yoke or a heavy burden If you feel like, man, life has just weighed me down. How do I, I'm not producing fruit. I'm not in a season of that right now. Whatever it may be, I want you, I would love for you to come down and pray with us so that we can ask Jesus together to remind you of this truth and to lift you up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we go into worship. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you that you lift us up Thank you, Jesus, that you don't leave us hanging in the dirt, but you lift us up and provide good things for us. Father, we ask that in this moment, you would speak to each and every heart, God, and any heart in need, any heart needing you, Jesus, needing to be reassured, needing to know that they are in the vine, needing encouragement. God, I pray that a spirit of encouragement would fill this place. And that people would walk out of here knowing that they are sons and daughters abiding in the vine. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Come forward for prayer.